good eye. <laughs> and then in Chinese, often when we come and greet um, and meet somebody, you say, Si Pao Meng, which actually means, um, have you eaten to the full? Have you? Uh, obviously, food means a lot of us, even if it's just a gl- glass of water. You know, you're known, Chinese known to have gone to places just to, uh, for food and good food. Apparently, there's a very good fish and chips shop operated by the monks from this monastery. It's really good fish and chips. And you can't miss it. Um, and the sign for of this uh, great fish and chip shop is operated by uh, uh, the sign says, the chipmunks. <laughs> anyway, this morning we uh, come and again feast on the finest of God's food and uh, to just to uh, take it in and be nourished by this word as we continue in this, um, um, in the Genesis series. Let's just have a word of prayer. <clears throat> Our hand, Father, as we come before you, Lord, again, we know that you're with us. Lord is so good and so that the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creators of the heavens and the earth is with us today. And Lord, we can just uh, thank you for the word you have given us and we can seek to be nourished by it. And Lord, and enjoy what you have called us to. And Father, we as we even to sit again, again with our hearts, maybe open and minds be open and to receive what you have uh, in store for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you have Bibles, maybe you'd like to turn to me and we'll continue to read from uh, one section in um, the book of Hebrews. And it says, By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in land. He lived in tents. Now, we have just gone through the first 11 chapters of Genesis this past few weeks. Now, we learned that there were some major happenings uh, like the creation of the world, the story of Adam and Eve, the fall of man, the great flood, and the Tower of Babel. And you find that in these compressed chapters, it covers many, many centuries of history as compared to the rest of the Bible. Something like 4,500 years compared to 1,500 years from Exodus to the book of, to the last book of the Bible, Revelation. Now, for the next few weeks, we are considering chapters 12 to 50. And it forms about three quarters of the book of Genesis. Yet, it covers a very short period of time compared with the first 11 chapters of Genesis. So we see here that there is a huge disproportionate of the history of our world recorded for us here. You know, God began by dealing with the whole human race, but then he seems that he focuses in on just that one family as if this one family was the most important family who ever lived. Just covers four generations of the family. It starts with Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph. 
why is is that? Why? I think this is because we are looking at history from God's point of view. And he has been said that history here is about his story. God's story. Now his story here reveals what God had to do with people who doesn't want to know him or to obey him or to love him or have anything to do with him. So what is he going to do about it? That's the problem. Well, one easy solution is to uh, solve this problem is to wipe them all off and to start over again. And he did just that with the great flood. He tried it with Noah. But when Noah came out of the ark, and one of the first thing he did was to have party. Make sense? He got very drunk and exposed himself. And from then on, the sad stories of humans began to go downhill again, over again and again and again and again. So what's God going to do about it? And it was with Abraham that he began to address what to do with a rebellious human race. You know, the Bible is basically a story of a sovereign God and his reconciling love that starts with Abraham in his plan of salvation and accomplished by our Lord Jesus Christ. You know, often when we, uh, sometimes we, um, in church we have lots of preaching is, you know, how to overcome loneliness, how to be happy, how to have peace of mind. Those are only minor things. And often we just uh, major on those minor things, but rather the whole Bible is about the sovereignty of God and His reconciling love for humankind. And Abraham here is the starting point. And as we have read earlier, we see that um, God chose and called Abraham out. We see that Abraham never had any thought of this. God wanted him. God did the work. God, uh, Abraham did not initiate anything. And it was God who initiated everything for him. Abraham did not volunteer or offer to go to the land that's flowing with milk and honey. He did not know anything about the land beforehand. Now God had said it first. And then Abraham went out and possessed it. Now the things that happened to Abraham did not happen by chance. They happened entirely by the sovereign workings of God. And God sovereignly worked out his purposes. You know, God chose Abraham and created a nation through him and his wife Sarah. And that nation became God's chosen people. And it's through this particular segment of the human race the Jews who were chosen to address God's problem with the human race. And it began with Abraham. You know, but people don't like it. They take arms to it. It's just plain scandalous. The philosophers call this the scandal of particularity. 
And basically, people take offense is because that why God should choose to reveal himself among just one particular group of people, the Jews. They question why should God choose Abraham? Why should he choose to deal uh, with the Jews and use them uh, for his salvation? It is so unfair. He's not only unfair, he, I don't think he's good, let's say. How can a God who may be sovereign be so unfair that he simply chooses to save some but not others? Why didn't he save the Australians? Did the Australians bring the message? Why not the Kiwis with the New Zealanders? Why didn't he save the Chinese through the Chinese? Now come to think of it with a population of 1.4 billion people, which is about a fifth of the world's population, wouldn't you think of a big advantage compared to uh, Israel's population of just 9 million people to spread the gospel? It's so offensive to us that God should choose to solve his problem through the Jews. Why the Jews? What's so special about them? You know, say you have uh, five kids uh, in the family and you feel good and you brought them some sweets from the supermarket. Now when you get home, you can do one of two things. One, you could either bring the whole bags of sweets and get to one of them and say that, now share with your brothers and sisters. Or you could bring the sweets back and give each one of them and each one of them having equal share. Now, which do you think would have brought peace to the house? Don't you think it would be much easier uh, to give them each some sweet instead of just one person to dole out the sweets as his own woman fancy? I think it's instead of sending uh, his son to be an Australian or to be a Kiwi or Chinese or whatever, he chose the Jews. That's God's way. He began with Abraham. That's how he chose to save us. It is his choice. You and I cannot argue with it. It has to do with his sovereign choice, not just an arbitrary choice. It is his sovereign choice that he chose us and called Abraham for the task. Now, when God called um, Abraham to leave Earl, there's no record of Abraham uh, already worshipping him. <laughs> then we notice that what's not written for us, that he does not tell Abraham that he is the only God there, and he does not tell him that to get rid of all his gods and follow him. God did not give Abraham any reasons or explanation why he wanted him to leave his homeland. And he did not even give uh, Abraham a doctrinal statement or uh, require rituals or make demands when he appeared uh, to Abraham. It is as if when God called him out, he says that, uh, God says, come, Abraham, I've got a surprise for you out there. You know, during Abraham's time, the city of Ur was one of the most magnificent city in the world. And he not only enjoyed a highly developed uh, business system, but also um, an um, uh, intellectual civilization that is uh, uh, 
known to be far surpassed any of the other known uh, civilization of that time. And for Abraham to respond to God's call was no easy thing. He must give up for the comfort of a city living and go for a walkabout to this uh, to a walk walk place called Canaan. And he was going to this place without a map. Now, in Abraham's days, a typical house would have a fireplace. And if did as God has asked him to, he would have to live the rest of his life living in the tent and going to walk about and, and just moving from one place to another place to source for water. You know, leaving home uh, is much easier when you are a youth. Abraham is 75 years old, it's not a spring chicken anymore, you know, uh, by our standard. And what comfort, security, and ease will be so attractive at, at that age? I love my bed. I love my couch. To call me on a walkabout at a 75 years of age, thank you. And now God called him, you need to relocate. Now, not only he had to leave all his family members, but also he had when doing that, he had to leave behind and forfeit his inheritance that's due to him. And not only that, you know, in the ancient world, during Abraham's time, the people would subscribe to uh, a territorial god, local deities, or each family would have their own patron uh, gods, which were supposed to uh, protect them and watch over them. Thus, when Abraham was asked to leave his land and his family behind, it meant that he was work, walking away from a territorial uh, God and the protection of a, a patron deity. He was walking away from his countrymen and family, which meant he loses uh, any claims to whatever deities that he had before him. He would be now be godless. God made an offer to Abraham where he had to make a decision. Abraham had to decide, to decide whether to leave the land in favor of the land God offers him. He must decide if he is to leave his family for the one that God will provide. He must forsake all his inheritance and start from scratch and depend on God giving him and blessing him with uh, all the wealth. He must choose to turn his back on all those territorial deities and patron, uh, family patron gods for the creator of the heaven and earth. You know, God's offer is amazing, but the cost is very costly too. And in order for Abraham to give up so much he must believe and trust God to deliver what he has offered. And for that, Abraham did. And it says, by faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed, and even though he did not know where he was 
going. You know, such is a compelling, bewilding call of God that came to uh, Abraham. And often this call comes uh, to our lives as well. And we see the call of God is like the call of the sea. No one hears that except the person who has that nature of the sea in him or in her. It's a call that can only be perceived and understood internally by our inner nature. And we're told that God has put eternity in our, each of our being. It is a call that we can never escape. It's a call that we can never escape. But we can choose to either obey it or to disobey it. You know, if a man or woman is called of God, it doesn't matter how difficult the circumstances may be. God will orchestrate every force at work to achieve his purpose. And if you agree with God's purposes, there is an awakening in, inside us, our consciousness in our being, and we become alive to God. Salvation is the starting point. You know, the realization of the call uh, of God in a person's uh, life may come like um, a, a clap of thunder, like uh, Paul on the road to Damascus. Or it may be uh, dawn slowly and gradually upon that person. But however quickly or slowly this awareness comes, it produces an awakening, a glow in us. Sometimes it just like the stuff. It, there is, I think, there are times when uh, uh, some of the things as you've gone through, sometimes there is, it, there's a heart palpitation. Excited about it. You know, when John Westy, the founder of uh, Methodist, uh, had this touch from God, he said, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ. Christ alone for my salvation. You know, Jesus uh, said, uh, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And that's the way with the grace, where the grace of God begins. But know this, this begins with the grace of God. But it does not come and override our human responsibility. It doesn't override our free will. Now, free will is very much in play. God does not force his grace upon us. There is this uh, overriding uh, sovereign saving grace of God running alongside our human responsibility. The, this twin truth is like the legs of the ladder. You can have, not have one leg. You need both legs. Such is God's sovereignty and human responsibility. You know, next, um, you'll find that uh, as 
Abram went to the land of Canaan, his tent and altar marked him out. And we could as well adopt those um, uh, icons too. You see, the tent marked him as a foreigner and a nomad, uh, which says that he does not belong to that country, does not belong to the world. And it symbolizes his separateness in the world, but not of the world. And Peter, um, the Apostle Peter calls us aliens and strangers in this world. In other words, we're just pilgrims passing through on our way to heaven. As such, the tent. Next, he says that he built an altar. And basically, the altar marked him out as a citizen of heaven. And by this act, Abraham uh, made his uh, confession of his belief and his faith and worship in the one true and living God, the creator of the heavens and the earth. And he responds, God, the creator of the whole universe, now called himself the God of Abraham. You know, um, Abraham demonstrated his faith by obeying God's command to leave his, uh, his homeland. Thus, Abraham began his journey of faith. And now God um, generously rewarded him with special blessings. And what we have in uh, this red forest in from 12, 1 to 3 is what we call the Abrahamic covenant. And it's actually formalized, you'll find later in uh, chapters 15, reaffirmed in chapter 17, and then also renewed again with Isaac and Jacob and later parts of it in chapter 26. Now here we have six promises are given to Abraham. And you'll see some fulfilled during his lifetime and others have implications that seems to extend way back in, uh, into the future. The first one, I'll make you a great nation. Here we see Abraham fathered the great Hebrews people and the Arabs people. Number two, I'll bless you. Abraham lived a full and rich life for 175 years. And he fathered even more children after Isaac. Then he says, I will make your name great. And as we know, the Jews, the Christians, and the Muslims honor Abraham as the founder of their faith. You will be a blessing. You know how Abraham just served as a channel of, uh, of grace. Our Savior came through him. God's plan of salvation began with Abraham, but see that it was finished and completed by Lord Jesus Christ. Then the fifth one says, I'll bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you. You know, one of the things that why uh, we are so much in the praying for, for Israel, praying for God's protection upon them, God will bless us for our um, even blessing um, Israel with our good thoughts and good deeds. And God's uh, curse for those who lack uh, respect or involves just harsh judgment. And nations have just fallen in accordance to their treatment of the Jewish people. And we see that nowadays, have you any heard of uh, uh, 
people like the Amalekites, the Moabites, the Canaanites, Jebusites, they don't exist today. And you remember this a uh, couple of weeks, we see some horrendous thing that is uh, happening uh, with the senseless massacre of the innocents and the shooting of babies in the head. What reckon you the faith will be? And then the sixth promise that he gave to um, Abram was, to your descendants I will give the land. And this land is uh, the land of Canaan, and which has stretches from the river of Egypt to the river Euphrates. And it's a very huge area. And this is promise is viewed as the Jews' title deed uh, of Israel. And currently, Israel occupies just a very small portion of it. But one day, it will be realized. And the Lord conf uh, confirmed this uh, covenant with Abram in the ritual of the killing of the animals with the smoking fire pot and the blazing torch uh, with which the Lord just walked through the sacrificial ritual. Signifying an uh, irrevocable covenant that will last to the very end of the world. And when God makes the covenant, you can be sure he keeps them too. Abraham believed in the Lord and counted it to him for righteousness. Now when we say we are to believe someone, it simply means to accept what he or she says is valid and accurate. And when we say to believe in someone, that is to say we accept a much more trust and faith in that person. Faith is a complete trust or confidence in someone or something. Faith is far more than just a mere hope uh, that something unlikely will just happen. Faith is not an emotion or just a feeling. And often we just uh, uh, mix faith with our feelings or emotions. It is not. Rather, it's a deep inner certainty uh, and trust rooted in our trust of what God has said. Faith involves a deep trust. It endures even, uh, which endures even uh, in the face of doubts. Faith isn't easy. It often takes us beyond our comfort zone. Faith isn't comfortable as we see Abraham and what he has to go through. Abraham's faith meant he took God at his word, believing that what and everything God says will become a reality, and then acting on God's promises and what he says. And because Abraham takes God at his word, God credits him on the basis of the rightness of his faith. You know, the definition of faith given to us in the book of uh, Hebrews says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, convictions of things not seen. 
And from this verse and the rest of chapters, it counsels that faith is a confidence or trust in God and his promises. Our faith is our belief that God will do exactly what he promised. And this is what they impressed God with Abraham. He did not simply believe. In taking God at his word, he embraced faith. He more than adopted a belief system. He simply had faith in God. What impresses God? Have faith in God. You know, our sacrifice of time, abilities, talents, and resources do not impress God unless they are motivated by faith. It is our faith that most impresses God. I'm not talking about the faith for salvation. If there's a good place to start. I'm talking about the faith that God uh, is who he says he is, faith in his attributes, faith that he's sovereign, faith that he's, uh, he's good. We must just believe it. Stake our life on it. Belief in faith. Now we are all on this um, journey of faith. Some have advanced far on this journey. And I don't know about you, I suspect I do for myself too, that most of us find it very challenging and uh, difficult and there is often stops and starts in our faith walk. Often how you think that, I wish I have more faith. And we torment ourselves not having a little faith. We are certain that our lack of faith is a reason why uh, we have unanswered prayer. For our spiritual uh, weakness, for a sense that God seems so far away. We have doubts. And we tell ourselves that perhaps we need to try harder to have more faith or pray harder. The thing is, more faith is not the sort of thing you obtain by trying harder. It is not a case of try harder to believe next time. That's not how it works. You know, Sunday after Sunday, we hear stories and sermons of what a great and awesome God we serve and who it is. We receive all these informations and uh, to assure ourselves that God's power is sufficient for us. But information alone doesn't uh, transform our heart and our character. Information alone is not sufficient enough to make us people of faith engaging in courageous uh, deeds. And in order for such transformation to take place, we need to do something. How does one's faith increase? And the way to have more faith is to obey him. Faith involves taking steps of obedience as we see what Abraham did. You know, remember the children of Israel when they were told to cross to the promised land? And they were going to cross the river which was at its height of uh, his uh, flooding season where the water will overflow its banks. And we are told that uh, they need to step on the river to get across. But the people only experience uh, God's power when they take the first step. 
And we read that when uh, as soon as the priest's feet touched the water's edge, the water upstream stopped flowing. You know, faith is like muscles. It grows strong and supple when you exercise that. You can't say that I will, I will then exercise and train, I will do that when I get called for the Olympics or for the AFL team. You know, the reason why God often asks us to take the first step has to do with the nature of faith and how it grows. How does one's faith increase? Just a step of obedience at a time. One step, then the next step, and the next. Just a step of obedience at a time to what God tells us to do. You know, more often than not, I find it challenging and difficult even to take tiny steps. And I often do not, I know when it takes us that I do not uh, have this feeling of complete uh, certainty and confidence in that. But when I take these steps of faith, even in spite of all this uncertainty, faith happens. And these little steps of obedience bring us closer to the walk and bring us closer to heaven. Just a step of obedience at a time. You know, and we see that the progress of this um, step of faith will certainly just mark us out and people see there's something about it. There is a difference to see us stepping out in faith. You know, we uh, see Abraham's faith in action when there was a dispute with uh, Lord's uh, herdsman and Abraham's herdsman. And Abraham said to the fact, hey, Lord, we need to live separately. And Lord, and he said, Lord, you can take a pick of this land. Where do you choose? If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. Now, in this incident, it seems that, you know, the best thing in the world for Abraham to do would be to choose first. It was his right. And the people around him would shake their head in disbelief and consider Abraham a fool not to be choosing first and let his nephew to do so. Here we see a contrast of faith in action or the flesh in action. Lord chose to go down to the fertile valley uh, and rather to live in the barren hills. It's a wonderful place. It's a good place. Great place. But then in the later chapters we find that uh, he was taken captive and Abraham had to come to rescue him. You know, we uh, often do not progress in faith when we prefer to choose on the basis of our rights instead of relying on God to make the choice for us. And one of the greatest enemies of life of faith in God is not sin but good choices which are not quite good enough. The good is always the enemy of the best. And Abraham living this life of faith wavered his rights and let God make the choice for him. And God installed for him the best. You know, it's interesting that uh, when Paul was making a case of justification by faith, 
he goes back to the Old Testament times and specifically use uh, the example of Abraham. And if you read from the Bible in uh, Romans, uh, uh, it tells us, um, Romans chapter 4, if you have the Bibles, I'd like to just turn to that. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, discovered in this matter? If in fact Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. What the scripture says, Abraham believed God and he was credited to him as righteousness. And it seems that when Paul wrote these verses, he sort of recorded it verbatim, as word for word as what is recorded for us in Genesis, where it says he believed in the Lord and he was accounted to him for righteousness. You know, and we often refer to Abraham as our father of our faith, which means that our salvation is the same as that of Abraham. We are his descendants. It comes from him. But there's only one way of salvation, and it's by grace alone, through faith alone, and in Christ alone. But in Christ alone, how can that be? Jesus did not come uh, um, during the Old Testament time. They didn't even know his name. How then can they be saved? But then we see that in the Old Testament times, people like Abraham look ahead to the coming of Jesus Christ. And our Lord Jesus mentions this in John where he says, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. And for us in the New Testament time, we are saved by looking back to the time when the Lord came down to die on the cross to redeem us from our sins. So whether in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, we all meet at the foot of the cross. And it says, therefore, there's one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. And salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to mankind which we must be saved. And all those verses, everything points to the absolute and unchangeable truth that the Old Testament and the New Testament are equally true. The exclusivity of salvation in Christ that comes to him. So there's not one way to be saved in the Old Testament and a different way to be saved in the New Testament. There will be two Gospels. There is the one way to be saved for the Jews and one way to be saved uh, for the Gentiles. There will be just two ways to heaven. And we must be very crystal clear about it. There's only one way of salvation. It's through grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. You know, for us Christians, Abraham is seen as the father of faith. He believed God, and his faith released God's righteousness to him. And we, being our children of Abraham, have this same faith as his. And what an amazing truth that we, each one of us uh, in this descent, we have been supernaturally called by God, chosen by God. A sovereign choice, not just uh, 
He chose us before the creation of the world. We predestined, he tells us. And we have to be absolutely thankful for him. And even as we go on and, and this life of faith that he has called us to, we hold on to him. We cling on to him. And it may not be, it may not be easy, but we need to have that complete faith and trust in him that you bring his word to pass. Let's pray. Our hand, Father, as we come before you, Lord, again, there's so many things that we remind ourselves of, that the God of who created the heavens and the earth should call us. Lord, our in your household is a supernatural act. Lord, we just ask for forgiveness. We just take it for granted that you have called us, and Lord, we have hearkened uh, and obeyed your voice. Father, we thank you for the salvation that comes through us, through our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, in the days as we go ahead, we are thankful and we are mindful of what um, great heritage that we have and also for the life that you call us to. And Lord, as we go on in the days ahead, and our faith increases each day as we hearken and obey to what you call us to do. Lord, just pass us with your blessings. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.